live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. It's just embarrassing. I don't know why the high voice ever. What's out. happened? Like the last couple of weeks, you've been like randomly critiquing your own voice during yeah. our rejoins. It's just it's embarrassing. I, mean, I don't know what happened. This is the press box. He's just doing his own self-critique. He's just listening to these rejoins, oh, disgusted in his own voice, apparently. Yeah. The only thing I'm not disgusted is whacking that thing around, because it is me. With Grady and Bischoff. He literally, it's the exact same. It's, it's, it's the exact mimicking. same. Ed was, a, was an actor at one point. He can mimic voices. <laughs> Child actor. On ESPN Las Vegas. Whacking that thing around. Yeah, I was a child actor. Plays, uh, after school specials, uh, reading for parts. Yeah, it was a good time. It was you a good gonna, time. You gonna list everything you were in? No, I couldn't do that. <laughs> couldn't do that. He was supposed to be in the champ with uh, John Boyd, famously, <laughs> but uh, couldn't cry on cue. <laughs> well, that and there are probably a thousand better people who read for that part, <laughs> including the kid who got it. Yeah, but you've turned out to be the better person. <laughs> well, that, now, that is true. That is true. I, I have the, that going for me. The kid who got it seems to be a real D-bag. <laughs> What's that guy's name? Ricky Schroeder. Ricky Schroeder. Yeah. And don't trust a man in his 50s that goes by Ricky. <laughs> what, are you supposed to, what, what are you supposed to go by if you're Ricky? Rick. 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 What's, is Rick the proper name of Ricky? Uh, Am I missing Richard? No, Richard. no, because no, that's, no, that's Dick. Yeah. <laughs> Which, so if you're Ricky, you were just named Rick, I assume. Yeah. 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 Well, hold on. <laughs> I mean, I already put the first bite up on Twitter, but uh, if you're <laughs> if you know the long form version of Rick, go ahead and uh, hit up the show. Uh, what's the Finley Kia text line? Six nine one eight seven. Make sure you say ESPN. <laughs> Yeah, and you see other people around here getting it like Rick is Ricky or better known as The First Bite. The Press Box First Bite is brought to you by Space Available. Do you believe or Kelly McCrimmon or George McPhee could still get fired? I don't know. I sat, we were there yesterday for almost four hours or more, nine. <laughs> 10, 30, 11, 30, 12, 30. No, yeah, almost four hours. And I walked out of there probably knowing less than I did when I walked in four hours earlier about who might get fired. <laughs> Don't worry, Ed. No one at our illustrious uh, station got any of that four hours of audio, so you won't have to hear it again. So did you take away... I know, I know Pete DeBoer and Kelly McCrimmon both sort of said they haven't made a decision on Pete DeBoer's future. And whether or not he'll be back, but he is under contract. But he sure would like to. Did you walk away from that, just given their demeanor, thinking that Pete DeBoer would be back, thinking that Kelly McCrimmon would be back? I walked away thinking they'd both be back. DeBoer, there was so much talk about the 500-man games lost between everybody. Mostly DeBoer and McCrimmon, though. I'll give this to the players. They didn't want to talk about it very much. I saw a lot of quotes from players saying, like, we still got to get it done. Yeah, excuse, they said this is an excuse. I mean, Zach Whitecloud was like, he said that like three times. He goes, I don't want to talk about injuries. Um, we didn't get it done. Josh, Jonathan Marsh said we didn't earn the right. It was more the head coach and the GM talking about this. And when they talked about it further and further, I just came to the conclusion that when they have these meetings, they'll – 
I mean, there's going to be stuff they disagree on for sure. The goalie situation, what was said about the goalie situation, perhaps the system. But I think it's just going to all come back to and they lost 500 games. And how can you really uh, evaluate someone when there's that many veterans out, um, not on the road, not in the room? So, yeah, I walked out of there. Now, I will tell you, other people had different opinions than I did. Uh, we heard different things. You know, we, we both we all heard different things in terms of what we thought it meant. But I walked out of there thinking that they're coming back. So do you think there's a legit evaluation period now for Pete DeBoer? Because the way it was phrased is like they're, they're going to sit down. Pete DeBoer is going to sit down with Kelly McCrimmon and talk about his future and the job and all that. Like, is there still a legitimate evaluation that's going to happen? Mean they already made up their minds. Right. That Like, because the season ended. You know, within the last few days, they were officially eliminated from the playoffs seven days ago. Like, there's been plenty of time for them to sit back if they wanted to make a decision quickly to make a decision quickly. I feel like they've already made up their minds. Well, I'm not surprised at anything because I remember Gerard Gallant telling me that uh, when he went in there, he thought it was, hey, let's come on, guy, let's get things going. We're okay, we're okay. And he walked in and they said, you're fired. So (laughs) nothing would surprise me with that organization in terms of how they make decisions. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, you could very well be right. And the decision has been made and he'll go in and he'll talk about the injuries and he'll talk about everything that happened and they'll decide one way or the other, or they've already made a decision. I just, I, it, it was, it's weird to me that it seems as though, or that there would be some sort of, okay, now we're going to sit down and look at it when they've been eliminated for a week and the season's been over for whatever, four or five days now. It just seems weird to me that it would be okay, now we're going to get into it. It's like, I think you should have already made up your mind. Like, what are you going to talk about over the next few days? Or what are you going to think about over the next few days that would change your mind that you haven't already thought about? Because it's not it's not like they are just now thinking about it, right? Like, this has been... No. We've been talking about I the hope chance not. of somebody getting been... fired for, like, weeks now. Because I mean, I hope everyone's season. being evaluated in everyone's minds as they go along. Right. You'd think that's what was happening, but the way it was phrased made me think they want you to be like, ah, we're going to sit down and figure this out starting tomorrow. And it's like, eh, you probably should have done that. Anyways, so I want to ask you about the the injuries and the man games lost. Did you happen to read Senbin's story on man games lost? I didn't read that. I, so I, say I did not. Basically, Pete DeBoer yesterday said 500 plus man games lost, right? And all that was brought up about how many injuries they had, how they were never healthy and how many man games they lost. Gary Lawless, who works for the golden Knights has retweeted like 67 things that say how many injuries the golden Knights had and how they were worst in the league in terms of man games lost. Well, Sinbin wrote a story about it. And the, the premise of the story is that the golden Knights can't claim they had 500 plus man games lost because If at any point during the season they were fully healthy, their team was illegal. If at any point during the season their entire roster was healthy, they would have been over the salary cap and they would have had to trade guys away. So when they claim they had all these man games lost, it's disingenuous because they themselves use long-term IR and made a team over the salary cap because of the injuries. So, like, if at any point their roster had been fully healthy, they would have been twelve million over the salary cap, or whatever that number. So would they have been. kept them on, obviously, to stay right compliant. Right. If they were, if they were worried about having a fully healthy roster, 
You don't trade for Jack Eichel, who's hurt in the middle of the year. You don't start the year with Alex Tuck and like two other guys on long-term IR. They here What the Golden Knights did this year is they had guys that were injured that they could put on long-term IR, and they viewed it as an opportunity to do what Tampa did last year. They viewed it as an opportunity to build a roster better than what the salary cap allows. And now that it failed, they're trying to go back and say, no, that's the reason that we sucked. When in reality, they were trying to make that the reason they were better than they should have been. But if they never use long-term IR, they're ne- they don't have 500-man games lost. Ken's story in Sidman was like 250 or something like that. Because you can't, you can't claim injuries are the reason we sucked when you trade for a guy who has to have neck surgery, when you start the season with guys on long-term IR, when your roster the entire year, if healthy, would have been illegal. Like, if uh-huh. they had been healthy, they would have had to trade away roughly $12 million in salary. And that means you would have lost those players from the roster anyway. So claiming you had 500 man games lost is well, fascinating. It's a fascinating yeah. take. They definitely, I mean, they had injuries and injuries impacted yeah. the season, but not to the degree that they want you to believe. Because if at any point they were healthy, their team was like $12 so, million dollars illegal. As they continue to talk about injuries, meaning McCrimmon and DeBoer, if they, oh, obviously they know what they did. They're the ones who did it. Do you think that plays into the fact whether he's retained or not? Pete, I think it could with Pete DeBoer, yes. I think for McPhee and McCrimmon, that is absolutely they the, did that. the excuse they're pumping out, even though they're the ones that created part of the... I mean, they didn't create the injuries, but when you trade for Jack Eichel in the middle of the season and you know he's got to have neck surgery, you're kind of doing it to yourself in that instance. So it's... Yeah, I, I think they might view that when they're evaluating Pete DeBoer, but... I think that's more or less, hey, let's use this as an excuse, even though it's a little misleading as to how significant the injuries were to what their roster was. Basically, Ken's whole idea was, okay, how close were they in every game to fielding a team that was up to the salary cap? And they were pretty damn close most of the time to having a team that was up to the salary cap because they were using long-term IR and they were $12 over. So even when Riley Smith and Mark Stone are out, you still have a team that's basically the full salary cap on the ice because you're $12 million over the entire season. Were you surprised that uh, said, because we said at the time they took Carrier off and that's why they made Leonard the backup. Okay. Like I still, we've talked about this a lot. Why on earth did they decide that will Carrier being activated was more important than Robin Leonard being able to torn shoulder to have the surgery he wanted. Like they decided we have to have Will Carrier. He scored so bad. He did score so bad that we're going to force Robin Leonard to sit on the bench as a backup two days after he decided to have season ending surgery for Will Carrier. Like we talked about that at the time. That was just. It made no sense. Like, it made just no sense. Let because uh, for whatever reason, the next day they were able to let Robin Leonard go and bring Yuri Patera up on an emergency basis. Just play a game without Will Carrier, and the next day, and Leonard doesn't have to be the backup. Right. You can do the emergency thing right there. Like that to me was it still is unbelievable that that's a decision they made that Will Carrier in the lineup. But they felt they needed Will Carrier to stay in the playoff race. Right. Was so he much scored. more important. 
than Robin Leonard. Not like in all seriousness, this guy decided to have season-ending surgery two days prior to that game. If Logan Thompson got hurt, they were actually going to put Robin Leonard in the game. Uh, they said that yesterday. They he were said actually going to yes. put this guy in the game because they two said days he could do he no further damage, which is amazing I in mean, its own right. I've, but he, just, the player said, "I want to have day before, season on in Saturday surgery. when he yeah. when he's if you believe the timeline and after some of the questions and answers yesterday, I don't know what I believe, but uh, from the GM, I, I I really don't, I don't, and and props to Dave Shane, we're gonna have him at seven thirty for asking some very pointed questions yesterday. But if you believe what they said yesterday, he met with their doctors on Saturday morning, where the doctor said, "You need to have surgery. This is too bad." And then they put him as the backup on Sunday for, to get Will Carrier off. I I cannot believe they that, actually admitted that. So that's probably true. Right. I cannot believe that that was the thought process. Was we've got to have Will Carrier back in the lineup. So yeah, you've got to have surgery, but we need you to sit right. on the bench. Like in all seriousness, make Evgeny Dodonov the backup goalie for a game, right? Like you have to have two goalies, right, for any right. game. Just dress one of the damn skaters as the backup goalie. That would have been better than Robin Leonard, who's going to have season-ending surgery and shouldn't be playing the sport of hockey. Like, I I can't believe that was the decision they made. It's still unreal to me. So, can you... We need to go to break here in a minute. Can you somehow explain how the Kelly McCrimmon press conference ended? Because I've seen some tweets about how it was kind of weird. Um yeah, they said, thanks, Kelly. And he goes, no, 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 I have time. I can stick around. And he said, I want to hear how uh, uh, our team is dysfunctional. He said that. Yes. And it was a it was interesting because, as Dave Shane reminded him, no one in the media has ever said that. That was Max Pacioretty. <laughs> Max Pacioretty said that. And then when I asked him, do you believe your team is portrayed as dysfunctional, he said that was just a flippant remark. Which I don't know why you say it then. If it's a, he's the one who brought <laughs> yes. it up, right? So if yeah. it's a flippant remark, that's usually when you make a flippant remark, it's an answer to a question like you don't like. Right. So you'll just say, "Oh, you think we're dysfunctional or something," and then later you can say that was flippant. I'm sorry, but when you when you bring it up to yourself, it's not flippant. You're actually saying you're actually right. saying what you think. Press conference is over. He goes out of his way. He's, he, yeah, the PR guy said, the PR people said, thanks, Kelly. Right. And he goes out of his way. He goes, no, no, no. I, I, I'm okay. I'll answer more questions. And then he went out of his way to say, I'd like to know, like, I'm, I'm not wording it exactly. I said, I'd like to know how our team is dysfunctional. And then everyone kind of made a Ooh. face like we weren't the ones who said that. So he basically gets done with the press conference, didn't have to answer questions directly about, hey, your team's dysfunctional. No. And for whatever reason, he wanted to talk about it. Yes. And then still didn't have a good answer for No, because then he was reminded it. quickly by Dave that we weren't the ones who said that. <laughs> that Max Pacioretty was the one who brought all this up. I mean, um, and, and Max Pacioretty did. And believe me, as Max Pacioretty said it yesterday... He played Montreal that he, he, 10 years. This isn't pressure. He has no problem speaking his mind, which is great. I mean, Max Pacioretty speaks his mind, and I think he's very honest in terms of his feelings. But he's the one who kind of went down this road, and it was not the media. But I think Kelly forgot that because the way he said it was, it was the media who actually portrayed them as this. All right. We can change our predictions tomorrow before we go to break. Anybody get fired of those big three? <sighs> McCrimmon, McPhee, or DeBoer? If anyone does, I think it's DeBoer. Okay. I don't I, think he should be, but if anyone does, even though I thought yesterday the GM's press conference was very 
took things very personally <laughs> and was defending a lot. I'll say that. I, I don't think McPhee does. I don't think that's even in the ballpark. I think no one's fired of okay. those main three. Maybe some assistants like we've talked about before. But I agree with you that if somebody if does somebody get takes fired, the fall. it's going to be Pete. Of those three, it's going to be Pete DeBoer. Coming up next, we jump into the Raiders and the NFL. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Are you disappointed you're not going to London or Munich oh. for Raiders games? You not see me throwing the party during oh, the break? Oh, man. man. You oh, don't want to travel? No. Come on. Not that far. We did, did it. it. We did it twice. No, three times. Twice did you, did London you go to Mexico? and Mexico City. Okay. So the NFL announced their international games. The three games in London, Minnesota and New Orleans. New York, the Giants, and the Packers, and the Broncos, and the Jags, and then the one game in Munich, playing in Germany for the first time, Seattle, and Tampa Bay. So those are your four games. There will be a game in Mexico City as well. It's San Francisco and Arizona. Um, we actually sent some decent teams over there. The Packers are going. The Bucks yeah. are going. The Broncos are kind of decent now. Right, I mean, we did. We still gave them the Giants and the Jags, and the Seahawks are going to be right. Jags will always be year. there, but we still send them some teams. But like, there's it, it's not it's not Jacksonville Texans, yeah, or something like that. There's some decent teams going over to Europe this year. Well, it was going to be either the Saints or the Jags or the Raiders. Those are two of their road games, and those two teams had already been announced that they were going over. So once the other opponents came out, then you knew they weren't going to get a game. Which I think they've. I, I don't want to say done their penance, but the Raiders have done their penance. They've been over there several times, Mexico City, London a few times, so give someone else a chance. <laughs> this this was when the Raiders were playing in the worst stadium in the NFL, yeah. and they were like, yeah, we don't care if you play yeah, home exactly. games in Oakland. Send us over there. <laughs> uh, have these games always been 6.30 a.m. Pacific time? Yeah. Why do I feel like they were later in the no, day? No, they were always early. They were, they always, were always, yeah, 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 yeah. It was always awesome. You would wake up way too early on a Sunday, put on that first game, and like make breakfast while the first game was going on, and then, then it would lead into the afternoon game. Or you'd wake amazing. up and it'd be in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I always feel like it was like eight o'clock. No, not six. It was in the six o'clock hour. Okay, six thirty a.m. That's the kickoff Pacific time for all four of those games. The one in Mexico City's yeah, like the, Sunday night football later. or something yeah. like that. That's normal timing. So. Raiders aren't traveling. All right, um, Ed, you love grades so much after NFL oh, yeah. drafts that oh, I, yeah. I wanted to give you uh, somebody else's grade of the Raiders draft. Are you ready for this? This is the Athletic? This is from the Athletic. Uh, the Raiders got a B. B. I'll read what they wrote. They didn't have a first or second round pick after the Devontae Adams trade. The Raiders traded up twice and back twice during the draft. They went in with five picks, came out with six. I'm not sure there's a whole lot to analyze here. They took two running backs. But those were picks 122 and 250. It's not like they were investing significant resources. The other four picks were used on the line of scrimmage, which makes perfect sense. Dylan Parham seems like good value. He played three different positions in college, and per PFF, he did not allow a sack on 545 pass block snaps last season. Sorry, Raiders fans. I don't have anything else for you. Their draft was reasonable given the limited resources. Fun, fun fact. Or actually, you know what? Ed, guess what? PFF. Gave the Raiders uh, a B. B. 
plus. Oh, oh, plus. oh they added the plus. They added the plus. Yeah. So that's almost an A. What I what what I'm curious on in the draft and and looking ahead is the rest of the division because the athletic draft grades Denver got a B plus, Vegas, L A, and Kansas City B all got plus. just Bs. So B. they didn't view anybody in this draft as having had a tremendous draft or a bad draft or anything like that. But like take Kansas City for example, they trade away Tyree Kill, they get an additional first round pick, so they had two in this year year's draft. They took a corner from Washington and an edge rusher from Purdue. Is there any chance they get enough value from those two players as they did from Tyreek? It offsets Tyreek Hill. And maybe we should throw in, they took a wide receiver in the second round too. So that's more position. That's three players. Position to position. Now, one of those picks they already had, right? One of those picks was theirs. It was their pick, even if they hadn't traded away Tyreek Hill. Right, right. But like, if you take Sky Moore in there, plus a couple of first round picks. I mean, I think... an edge is a pretty important position. Yeah. Uh, they needed help uh, defensively. So, if you're saying three players for one, can they get in? Can they get similar value as good as Tyree Kill is? I think they can. I think there's some possibility there too. My one big question on on Kansas City, when you look at their pass catchers this year, obviously Travis Kelsey is still there. Travis Kelsey has been producing like a number one wide receiver at the right. tight end spot for like whatever five years or something now. Juju Smith-Schuster is a, a chief now, right? Juju Smith-Schuster is right. solid. He's mainly the slot guy, but he's solid. Sky Moore is the guy they took in the second round out of Western Michigan. I don't know if he's going to be any good. We'll see. They signed Marquez Valdez-Scantling. They have Nicole Hardman. Like, how how good is that offense going to be without him when it's Kelsey and some guys? Whereas in the past, it's been Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. And some guys. And some guys. And I... Pringle. I think my my main question is, does Patrick Mahomes do what we've kind of seen Aaron Rodgers do a lot, and that is take an average or maybe above average receiver and turn them into a really good yeah. guy? And I think Mahomes can do that. I'm assuming Mahomes can do that. The they're banking on Mahomes doing that. He has to prove he can do it. Right, but that's kind of the question. Like, can I don't know how many snaps Sky Moore is going to play, but like, does Sky Moore become a guy that has... 750 right. receiving yards this year, right? Can can Patrick right. Mahomes basically throw Sky Moore into a productive rookie season? Same with a Marquez Valdez-Scantling or a Mecole Hardman or Juju Smith-Schuster's got a little bit more cachet than those guys. But, like, can Mahomes basically elevate all these guys without Tyreek Hill there? Sky Moore had the largest hands of any wide receiver at the combine. Is that important for wide receivers? We've talked a lot about quarterbacks. I have no idea. (laughs) I mean, it sounds important. It sounds sounds good. It sounds sounds positive. You can catch the ball. Yes. But maybe having big hands makes it a little bit harder. Like having big hands and shooting free throws generally makes it harder. It sounds... He he had 26 broken tackles, which led all of... That sounds like a lot for... Receiver. That's uh yeah, that led all that of That might be more football. important than his big hands. <laughs> but he was Western Michigan, so maybe he was <laughs> like it was just a lot of small dudes yeah. who were just, just like, get away from yeah. me. Like I we talk we talk a lot about Derek Carr and just can he make his teammates better? And that's one of the big criticisms is he doesn't really elevate his teammates. He's got to have good teammates around him. Patrick Mahomes has sort of overcome average to bad defenses in his career, but we haven't really seen him without two legit passing options. Now they've played without Tyree kill and they've been very good for like whatever. Sure. It's like an eight game sample size. So we have seen a little bit, 
But I do wonder, course of a full season, is this Kansas City offense as good as it's been in the past with Sky Moore and Juju Smith-Schuster soaking up the Tyreek Hill targets? Coming up next, David Shane joins the show. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Grady and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is David Shane. All right, David, you spend half your day at City National Arena yesterday, press conferences at the end of the season for the Golden Knights. Do you walk away with the sense that everybody in the front office and coaching staff is safe, not safe? What do you think now? I think I'm on the not safe side. I mean, I didn't (laughs) take anything that happened yesterday as a vote of confidence for Pete DeBoer. Uh, I was... Very uh, taken aback at how defensive Kelly McCrimmon was uh, just from the start um, in terms of his comments and and almost like he had to justify the last five years to the fans, not just us, but like the whole thing was weird and all that. Pete Tabor made it very clear that he has a contract for next year and that he's got meetings this week. Kelly McCrimmon made it clear that Pete Tabor has a contract for next year and has meetings this week. Other than that, like, I'm not taking anything other than just what they said yesterday is this past season. Like, I'm not taking it as a sign anybody's safe or, or any, anything like that at this point. Dave, if changes was made, changes are made with the head coach and they're in that room, what do you think the main points are that they give him and the reason? Because they've talked so much about these injuries. Everyone's always talked about the injuries. So if they counter that, with reasons that they would want to move on from him, what would those be? Well, start with special teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start with just the identity, I think. You know, that was a big topic yesterday, um, how, how they've gotten away from their identity. And one of the things that I've written about and have said kind of all year, I didn't like that change to the one one three. They were very passive. It's a sit-back system trying to clog up the neutral zone and create turnovers and then transition and go instead of being on the front foot and attack like they were with that one, one, two, the first few years under Gallant and then under DeBoer for the first part of his tenure, they just got away from that mentality and that mindset. And, and I think that's on Pete DeBoer. That was, that was a decision that he made, you know, to go to that system. And, and I think if you're going to look at it and Kelly McCrimmon, I think even kind of laid it out, you know, they were, I believe, he said 12 games uh, over 500 at the All-Star break and 12 games over 500 at the end of the year. So you can look at the second half, call it a collapse or, you know, whatever you want. The, the situation with the goaltenders, like, I think there's a whole lot of different things if you're Kellen McCrimmon that you're going to, you know, be able to put down on a list and say, okay, here are the reasons why we're we're not moving on, let alone the fact that, you know, there's some contract stuff. Pete DeBoer is going into his last year. So do you want a lame duck coach? Or, you know, can you negotiate an extension? And if you can't negotiate an extension with him now, maybe you sever ties and, and cut bait and just say, okay, we'll find somebody at this well, point. And, and we won't we won't try to, to do the lame duck, duck thing next year. Let me turn it on then the guy who would be uh, leading that meeting uh, and then – uh, meaning Kelly McCrimmon, but the people above him, let me turn it the other way. If Bill Foley's deciding on McCrimmon's fate, what does he say? Is it mostly the salary cap? And let's say he decides to move on from him. Meaning meaning Bill Foley's reasons for right. moving if on he, from if he, McCrimmon? If he just moved on from his GM. 
I mean, I think you would take a collective on that. I think you would look, go look at the entirety of his tenure since he was promoted to GM and the moves that he made, the Leonard move, um, the Flurry move last offseason, the Donna. Like, you know, you look at the collective and, you know, again, to go back to the identity and all that, like, you know, one of the things Kelly McCrimmon was very defensive and almost defiant about yesterday was that they're not, you know, looking for every shiny new toy and going after that. but. On the surface, it certainly seems that way, and they've made a lot of changes, you know, maybe skill and talent for character guys and role players and, and things like that. And I think, you know, again, the collective of the identity and, and that loss, I think he takes, you know, a share of the blame in that. He's, if, if we're to believe that, yes, there's a collective and yes, there's collaboration in that front office, but that Kelly McCrimmon is the general manager and that these moves have his fingerprints on it, you know, then if you're Bill Foley, uh, I, I think, you know, if you, if you feel somebody has to pay for them not making the playoffs, then you can point to, you know, a series of moves that, that led to that. Fair or not, the Golden Knights don't exactly have the best reputation as far as how they treat their players. Uh, and you can go back and point to things that happened in year one. I mean, Vadim Shipashov was kind of sort of forced into retiring from the NHL. Do you think Bill Foley cares about any of that? Or do you think he only cares about on ice stuff? Sorry, you caught me in between bites of a bagel there. <laughs> what kind of bagel? Hold on. What kind of bagel? What's it's an, every, bagel? It's an everything bagel okay. with avocado on it. Oh, oh that's go. okay. Nice. I, was I, say got, I, got, I got fancy. I like that. Okay, so so one, let me just say this because I don't think I've ever had a chance to like really comment on this, and it's old. But like, as far as the Shipishev stuff goes, like that was on him, and I've I've flat out heard this from players in the locker room and and whatever. Like, he did nothing. He came here, felt completely entitled. If the Golden Knights were going to hand him a first line center job based on whatever he did in Russia, they they would have lost the team. That was like one of the best moves that they ever did was hold him accountable and say, you can't just come over here, you know, and, and expect everything to get handed to you and not work for it. So I think there was some establishment of culture and all that that went into the ship shop thing. I, I, I'm not going to hold like that one against them. And I know that's just an example, Tyler, that, that you're throwing out, but that one in particular, I'm actually going to put on a lot on the player. Um, as far as the reputation of what Bill Foley cares about, yeah, I think he cares about winning, but I think – I think this is where the disconnect is between the fans and sort of what goes on behind closed doors and what message is not being um, delivered to the fans from the Golden Knights. I think Bill Foley and that front office behind closed doors thinks that they do everything for those players and they care more for those players than anybody will ever know. You know, we just don't see it. The, the problem is we see the public. We see agents putting swords through goalies, you know, and means, and we see agents, you know, putting stuff out. We, we see other reports and, and, you know, we question where it's coming from and different leaks and, and all of that. Like the Golden Knights are basically losing the PR battle when it comes to that. Like, yeah, there's been players who have left. Obviously, Marc-Andre Fleury was not happy, but like, Ryan Rees was totally fine. He got traded and was like, okay, I understand. I'm going to go to New York. Didn't hear a peep from Nick Holden. So, like, 
I don't know how to take all of that. I, I, I'm not entirely sure. You know, I mean, uh, look, I'm the person who wrote an entire story last fall about are they ruthless and are they too ruthless and all that. And I, I think there's some truth to that. I think, I think there are some practices that maybe they need to look at, definitely some PR stuff in terms of just, you know, the messaging and how it's getting out there that they need to look at. But I think you could find a lot of players that, you know, would think that they're treated well. I think it's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's like anything. You're going to get opinion. I mean, Max Pacioretty stood up there yesterday and basically said, we need to have a different power play formation. You know, I mean, how many players are going to get up there and, and essentially trash a coach like that? So, like, you get different, you know, variations on it, and guys are, you know, okay with, with the Knights and their attitude toward winning, and some guys maybe – feel like they're disposable and that's just kind of the way it is unfortunately did you two-part question did you walk away with any more sense of what happened with robin leonard and if pete DeBoer comes back how difficult would it be to him for him to coexist with robin leonard yeah so i'll answer the second part of that first i think it's gonna be very difficult i i don't understand how based on what i kind of think happened that they can reconcile that. It seems like they crossed the point of no return. And this is kind of where I'm going with this. And look, I'm going to, I'm going to put a disclaimer on this, that I don't know what you can trust from Kelly McCrimmon and the golden Knights anymore. Like, I don't know how much truth there is to anything that they say. And I want to preface this as well. I'm very hesitant to kind of go this way because I don't like to cannibalize members of the media. And there were, to members of the media that had reports out there about Rob Leonard that proved to be correct. And I'm not going to sit here and like trash anybody on that or whatever, but like, let's look at how this all kind of came about. Like he plays on Wednesday, they have an off day on Thursday and then reports come out Friday that he's going to have season ending surgery. So like you wonder where those, the sources and where that's emanating from right away. And then all of a sudden, according to Kelly McCrimmon, Robin Leonard comes in on Saturday and just says, I'm meeting with the team doctor, and they say, no, we're, we're shutting you down now. Like, it doesn't add up. There's something that's not being said. And if I'm a player, and this is just me, I'm just going to say this is me, okay? From the outside, what it looks like is that at some point along the way between Wednesday and Saturday, Robin Leonard made the decision that he's done that he's out, that he's just shutting it down. And, and eventually the Golden Knights said, okay, after Saturday. So, like, if I'm a player and Robin Leonard went in there and said, no, I'm done, like, I, I wonder about that. Like, can he tough it out? Why was he playing before and then now all of a sudden he just can't do it? Like, there was no clarity in terms of that. We haven't heard from Robin Leonard on, on all of this. So all we're getting is the Golden Knights side that they had a plan on Thursday and Friday that he was going to practice Saturday and be available on Sunday. And then everything changed on that Saturday. So, like, why? There, there's, there was no explanation for why Robin Leonard went and saw the team doctors on Saturday, and then suddenly he needed surgery where three days ago he was fine, or even the day before he was expected to practice. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And until we hear from Robin Leonard, there's just going to be a big question mark in my mind as to what happened during that week and who made the decision that he was going to have his surgery then 
and not after the season, or that he was going to be done. Because all this, too, is that the Golden Knights acknowledged, and they said, everybody knows that he needs surgery. It was just the timing of the surgery and when the procedure was going to be done that changed. And I don't know why Robin Leonard seemingly wanted that expedited. Before we let I you just, go, uh, I was just going to say, do you think he plays another game for him? I don't. Okay. Personally, I don't. I mean, I don't see how you come back from this. That being said, I don't know who's going to take his contract three years at $5 million and, like, everything else. I mean, if the Knights had problems trading Marc-Andre Fleury, I don't know how they can just easily unload this contract. So I'm sure there's a whole lot of layers to it. I'm sure I'm missing, you know, a lot more to this. I'm fully willing to admit that. But from my vantage point, if, if, if it happened the way that I think it did from the outside and Robin Leonard walked in and said, I'm done, I don't see how you can come back from that. They can trade him for Mikel Hekarainen from the Chicago Blackhawks again. That guy likes to be And traded. then release him a couple weeks later. <laughs> yes. Why not? Yeah, and then Chicago can bring him and sign him back to one of their minor league teams. He's David Shane from the Review Journal. Dave, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Great stuff. Thanks. Thanks for having Thanks. me. So David Shane on the Golden Knights. And when we come back, a little bit of UNLV basketball because they lost another player to the transfer portal. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. <laughs> UNLV's losing another player into the transfer portal. Josh Baker Is has entered the transfer soft portal. And wet? So Marvin Coleman, Josh Baker, Reese Brown are in the transfer portal for UNLV. Donovan Williams is maybe going pro, maybe coming back to college. Uh, but he did tell Mike Ramal that if he comes back to college, he will stay at UNLV. So yesterday you asked about the roster. Here's what UNLV has. They got five guys coming back now. Jordan McCabe, Keyshawn Gilbert, Justin Webster, David Mawoka, and Victor Iwako. They have five transfers coming in. Elijah Harkless, Elijah Parquette, Luis Rodriguez, Jackie Johnson, Isaiah Cottrell. Maybe Donovan Williams. We'll see if he comes back. That would bring them up to 11 if he does come back. So that they have two scholarships left, essentially, if Donovan Williams does come back. So they still have a couple of spots open to potentially add a player that could make a difference on this team. Somebody that might, you know, score more than five points a game at the college level. Okay. I mean, I you, you and I have talked about it often, and it's more defensive-minded team. Um, I think Donovan Williams comes back. I actually think, well, I think he should come back. But I think I think he comes back. Does Josh Baker hurt them at all? Probably I mean, does, not. I, I don't think, but I, Josh Baker, does he really hurt them? Probably the not. Uh, I would say if you were looking at the players on the roster and trying to find who has the best offensive potential, Baker was a really good shooter at the junior college level. He only shot like 31% last year at UNLV, but there's a chance Josh Baker could have been the best shooter on this roster coming back. Yeah. If the, if he had come back. So that's an area where it might hurt them because they don't have a lot of shooting or proven shooting right. on this team. And Baker, again, he didn't shoot well last year was average, but was really good at the Juco level. So maybe, but most likely he wasn't going to play significant minutes. I mean, they recruited or transfer portaled over him for the most part. So I don't think it matters too much, but if you're just trying to find skill sets on the team, they are potentially losing a valuable skill set that they, they honestly don't have a, 
Like you go through this, the, the 10 guys they have and who's a good shooter. Jordan McCabe's a pretty much average shooter. Keyshawn Gilbert barely shot threes last year. Justin Webster was average last year, but was really good at Hawaii before he came here. Mwoka and Ewalker don't shoot. Elijah Harkless is an average three-point shooter. Elijah Parquet, I, rem- I think, was below average. Luis Rodriguez isn't a three-point shooter. Uh, Isaiah Cottrell was below average. Jackie Johnson's really the only other one. Like, they only have two or three. Like, one or two most. guys on the team that you look at and say, yeah, they could be, like, above average three-point shooters. If Donovan Williams comes back, he shot 40-something percent from three last year, which is tremendous. Right. So if he comes back, that obviously helps that a lot. But like it's definitely a roster where if you're trying to find shooting, it's it's hard to piece it together. It's hard so to find the guys. He's back in the portal because he's got two available. Who's back in the portal? Kevin. I mean, oh I'm, yeah, I, mean, got I two assume available. so. They yeah. so they missed out on a freshman, uh, Adrame Diangu, I think is how you say his name. He committed to Washington State yesterday over UNLV. He was a seven foot center. Uh, was a top 50 recruit in the class of 2022. I don't know enough about him. I'm assuming he wasn't going to be a three-point threat as a seven-foot center. Maybe he is, but I assume he wasn't going to be a three-point threat. So, yeah, they're definitely still going to add some players. I guess it's just a matter of who do they actually add here. Do they add anybody that has legitimate shooting background, right? They've got they've added one, Jackie Johnson, a guy who's who's been a shooter at the college level before. But do they add anybody else or is it going to be more of the same where, hey, this guy projects is to be a good defender, but his offensive game is a big question mark. What do what is Washington State sell? Just the Pac-12, I imagine, because so, they're not selling how great they are. I, I didn't. I asked this question to myself yesterday. Would you rather play at Washington State or UNLV? And I went and looked it up. Washington State's got a longer NCAA tournament drought than right. UNLV. Like 2008's the last time they went to the NCAA tournament. Which I think is, it might be selling the kid on the Pac-12. Yeah. As crazy as that sounds, what else could they sell him on? I would guess so. I mean, I don't I, know if you're selling him on Pullman. <laughs> Maybe he never visited. <laughs> he might not. Gamblers <laughs> will be staying up late to watch your games. <laughs> so I, it, it is interesting because Washington State, you know, they didn't lose a kid to Washington, right, or a good power or Pac-12 <laughs> school. Like Washington State's not good, so that that's an interesting one. Is like how like what you're a was Pac-12 the guy. Battle? You're not a Mountain West guy. You're right, a Pac-12 exactly. player. Do you want to go play at UCLA or do you want to go play at Wyoming? Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else you would sell them on. That might have been the legitimate selling point. Is hey, we're gonna play in Los Angeles against UCLA yes. this year. You go to UNLV. You got to find a, find your way to Laramie. Good luck finding Laramie. Coach, where do you play? Pullman, Washington? Where's that at? Don't worry about it. You just don't want to go to Laramie.